Before we get started with this week's show, I just wanted to say I had the pleasure of joining the In That Number podcast as a guest this week. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on with Ray and Kevin and uh, just get to talk more about Saints. And we recorded that episode about 10 seconds after I finished recording this one with Lucy. So uh, it's already out. The link is in the show notes so you can find it if you don't listen already. It's the In That Number podcast. That's a pleasure to be on with Ray and Kevin. And uh, you should check it out if you haven't already. So uh, now here's the show. You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. We don't lose a match, either we win or we learn. And today we learn. It's infield to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1 0. Bufal shot. Oh my word. He ran around a bit like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. As always, the show is available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markstone. I am the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show a part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And on episode 117, Lucy Heinet will join me to talk about Saints' loss to Liverpool uh, on Friday evening. Now, of course, we always want the team to win, but Liverpool's only lost once all season, it would be kind of foolish for us to expect uh, a, a win from that match, but the the game that we played, the way that we went about it, I don't think anybody has anything to hang their heads about. And uh, I actually really, really enjoyed it, even though I had to watch it after I already knew the result because um, eight, 8 o'clock kickoffs for you, 8 p.m. kickoffs for you, noon for me on a Friday means I have kids in the room and all of that stuff, but that is okay. And that is beside the point. But I hope that you enjoyed the match, even uh, though, you know, this, despite the result, I guess. And I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Lucy Heine. And special thanks to her for joining the show this week. It is always uh, a pleasure to have her on. You can follow her once again uh, on Twitter at Lucy Heine. The links to that uh, are in the show notes. But uh, before we get into that conversation, we do have an announcement. And that is last week, we agreed to give a copy of Desire Dream Vision by last week's guest, Michael Kern. Um, the book has just been released. It's been out just over a week now. Um, but we agreed to give a copy of that book away. So uh, to do that, you could have liked any of the posts on any of the social media sites. Uh, all of the Patreons were also entered into that drawing. And this time it goes to a patron by the name of Ordinary Mike. So uh, Mike, if you're listening, get in contact with me. I will uh, ship you out a copy of the book and thank you to everyone who took part. And if you do want to buy a copy of the book for yourself, um, you can do that at desiredreamvision.com. Uh, I will put the link again in the show notes now, uh, just in case you like to do that. So such thanks to everybody who, who took part. Uh, sorry if you didn't win. Um, there will be more books in the future, especially because uh, I've done the whole Marie Kondo thing. Let's get to my conversation with Lucy Heinet about Liverpool, about life, and everything else. We'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Lucy Heinet. 
You can find her on Twitter at Lucy Heinet. Lucy, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, welcome back. And um, although Saints lost, it's you know it, a match against Liverpool was never going to be the the ideal uh, talking point or a match to talk about, I guess. But uh, I don't think we can complain about too too much in terms of performances. No, I think it was pretty much as we expected. Um, maybe at some point in the game we thought it might end up a bit better than it did, but I thought it was pretty much um, consistent with what we've seen before. So um, I don't think there's any reason to be negative, um, but looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, uh, I was explaining to you, I didn't get to watch the game live. I, I had a kid shout out in class like, oh, Mr. Markson, I'm so sorry. And I was like, why? He's like, well, Liverpool just scored. And I was like, cool, I haven't seen the game yet. And he's like, oh. And the whole class like kind of yelled at him a little bit, which made me feel good because they were standing up for me. But um, it was uh, I, I've, I've now caught up and, and watched most of it. So uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. But uh, before we do that, um, I, I have to, to kind of ask you about uh, your household because you and your husband support different teams. And last year, both of those teams were in the relegation zone. Both of those teams managed to stay up. But this year, given that, you know, Newcastle is doing a little bit better and we're doing and you know, we're at least playing better. Are things a little bit more calm and not as much stress between the two of you in terms of football? Yeah, I think it's quite good that we're not really like we seem to have got a bit above the relegation zone, we seem a bit more comfortable and Newcastle haven't really been kind of in the conversation for quite a while. So that's it's meant it's a bit less awkward talking about football because I think there was this tone last season where we were pretty much like, well, I don't want to go down, but if you have to go down so I don't have to, that's that's fine. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been better now for like tension in the house. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been quite good. Uh, we haven't kind of got as to as many Newcastle games as we kind of intended to. And it's always that kind of tension, especially as Tom's the driver in our house as to what we go and see. Okay. Um, and it's often my dad, who's also a Saints fan who kind of persuades him to come to a Saints game. So okay. I feel a little bit bad that we've been to St. Davis Park as much as we should be, but um can never go to away games in Newcastle because their support's so good that all the season tickets buy the buy the tickets and right. we've got no So yeah, but no, it's been definitely good. <laughs> you guys do live up that way, right? Up towards Newcastle? Well, yeah, so we're a couple of hours away, which for you probably doesn't sound like very much. Um to us, you know, we're just kinda lazy. So often there are away games for Saints that are nearer than Newcastle, so um, we often end up going to those. Yeah. That said, we are going to go um, to Saints away um, at Newcastle, but I'm sitting opposite ends like we did last season. Yeah. But I'm still struggling after the scarring experience of last time where they beat us 3-0. And also we're in the other end of the country for our holiday next week. So I don't think we're going to get to that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest that when I looked at my spring break um, and it was – it was Saints away to Newcastle. I kind of said, do I, am I going to pay the money? Cause last year when we bought tickets over, we got really good airline deals. I think because spring break and Easter were so much earlier, I think, you know, weather's not as nice. Things were, and so, so flying over there was, was a lot cheaper than it was this year when I looked. And then I looked and said, well, I'm going to have to like land somewhere probably near Southampton or London and go to Southampton. And then I'm going to have to go to the opposite end of the country. And I just said like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to cram all that into four or five days. Um, so I just chose to to save the money and plan for next year. So um, I hope everybody's okay with that. My wife seems to be okay with that. So um, <laughs> I think and my, my, my checking account says that's okay too. So um, that's okay. Yeah. So you probably got overruled on that one then. Yeah. And we had a, we had a fence uh, fall down during a storm. So I, that, that was not, 
Uh, believe it or not, fences are expensive. I don't know. I don't know what they cost in the yeah, UK, but they're not. They're not cheap. How expensive fences are. You just think, oh, I'll just stick a fence up. But that's it's a bigger deal than you think. Yeah, so, yeah. it's it's not my favorite. Um, but anyway, uh, well, I'm glad everything's going going well. Um, I think I think we're gonna I'm gonna wind up seeing an Arsenal game over the summer for that international championship uh, Champions Cup because uh, my son is an Arsenal fan. So I think they're playing Bayern Munich in LA. So I think that will be a, the game that I, the Premier League team that I see this year, um, unfortunately, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, and it should be a good game that you would think. Wouldn't you? Um, I'm a big Unai Emery fan, so I've got no problems with watching Arsenal. Yeah, I always hope that somebody makes, I mean, there's no big men's tournament this year, so that we should have everybody there. Um, and if somebody makes a new signing, uh, they should be trying to force themselves into the team, so that should be good uh, for for viewing purposes. Um, you know, uh, last time I watched, um, I saw Man City play Real Madrid last time, and then the time before that, I saw Liverpool against Chelsea, and I saw Cesc Fabregas get a, a straight red in a friendly, which was um, interesting to say the least. Um, but anyway, uh, and then. Also, I mean, I think last time we talked, you were already technically Dr. Heinet, but how's it going not being, uh, not writing a dissertation? Uh, yeah, I've got to say it's a bit of a relief. It was, it, was, it was quite a slog by the end, just sitting there writing. So, yeah, it's quite nice to do a job where you're not thinking about what you're going to write in your thesis all the time um, and kind of switching off at the weekend. And uh, it's been, meant I've actually got to way more Saints games than I did last year just because I'm no longer having to use my weekend for writing. So, um right. Yeah, it's been good, good fun, really. Um, not sure what kind of career plans are at the moment, but it's yeah, nice not to have to cry myself to sleep wondering what I'm going to write. So, <laughs> all good. <laughs> uh, one, one of the things I always talk to the kids about, because I think I was raised like, you know, you have to have a career and it's got to be, you know, all of the stuff and you should do, you know, I don't know, you should just work a lot. And I try to tell my students now, like, doesn't doesn't really matter what you do. Like do something you enjoy or have something that you really enjoy that you do outside of work and have a job that just allows you to do those things. Like you got to kind of do, I think what makes you happy at least a little bit and it can't always happen, but um, yeah, the, the stress of, of writing something like that, I don't think I could do it for more than, than a year or two. And then, cause then, then, you know, it's done and then you move on and, and you do something else. And I don't know, I don't understand how these people just go from one giant book project to another book project or, whatever that would just, just the thought of that stresses me out. But, um, as my wife says, the thought of, you know, having this deadline with the podcast every week stresses her out. So she doesn't know how I do it either. So I guess it's all just, just different stuff for different people. So. Yeah. We all have our different pressures that we saw. I think it just depends what you get used to and what you kind of can manage. Um, yeah. Well, looking at the team, I mean, Friday night games, it seems like, uh, first off, it just seemed like the, the fans in the, in the stadium was really up for Friday. Um, I got to watch a little bit of the first half during my lunch and, um, the students came in and saw who was playing and just said, we won't bother you. And I said, thank you very much. Um, and, and so some of them came in and watched with me, but, uh, for the most part, you know, the, the, the fans seemed up for it. The stadium seemed like the, the atmosphere was good, which is, is nice. Uh, Van Dyke got booed every time he touched the ball, which is great. Um, but the starting lineup, were you surprised at all that we went back to uh, a kind of a back three or a back five for this? Or, um, you know, I, I mean, to me, it wasn't necessarily that that much of a surprise with Vestergaard uh, back healthy 
uh, and, and given kind of what Liverpool were going to do in terms of attack, I thought it was the kind of the right approach. Um, but I don't know. What, what did you make of, of the, the formation change since we did win playing with the back four the, the previous week? Yeah, I think pretty much as soon as we knew Vestergaard was going to be fit, I, I kind of assumed it would be a back five. Um, not just because I think we look a bit more solid when we have a five, but um, when you're playing someone as inexperienced as Jan Valery on the same wing as probably Sadio Mane, the, the form kind of attacker in the league at the moment, I think he needed that kind of um, support inside him. Um, and I think it made a lot of sense. The, the kind of the question I had about the starting lineup was really Shane Long coming in. Um, I knew, you know, Danny Ings can't play against the parent club. But the, the Shane Long being in the starting lineup again was a bit of a shock, uh, particularly kind of when it was at Armstrong's expense, when I thought he'd been really good against Brighton and looked very kind of creative and, and, and forward thinking. Um, but I guess when Shane Long scores a goal, I, I probably can't complain about him being in the starting lineup. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I don't know, I, I guess when you when I, when I was thinking about it, when I saw him in there, you, you understand the game plan, I guess, and you want him to press and. I wasn't expecting him to score and it was his, I think it was his 50th Premier League goal, which is hard to imagine because I can't, it doesn't feel like he ever scores, but I guess, I guess he, he has at some point. Well, yeah. And that was that season on the Coombs, isn't there, where he did score like, you know, 10 or 11 or something. Uh-huh. So that gave a good boost. But yeah, no, when that, that stat came up, my husband just said, ah, well, that's what happens when you play in the Premier League long enough. Yeah. And I was like, well, <laughs> Does say it all, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, he's definitely not getting to a hundred. You know, so that's probably the milestone <laughs> he's going to get uh, get to. Yeah. And I think I was looking it up because somebody was somebody was going somebody was talking a lot of crap about one of our players. Um, I'm not going to mention the name of the, the Twitter account, but um, you know, and then he compared him to somebody who you know was just just worked really hard, and I was like. Well, there's like the list of people who have scored over 100 Premier League goals is not very long, and and the guy he was comparing him uh, Redmond to was was on that list, and I was like I could just engage with this, but I don't think that's what I want to do, so I just let it go. But um, yeah, looking at the number of people who have scored 100 goals in the Premier League, uh, it's not not a very long list. So anybody who gets there is great. 50 goals, good for Shane Long. Um, that list is much longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. But I mean, to, just to just start with the game. I mean, your expectation wise, there seemed to be a, a bit of optimism floating around. Um, I know you did a, a podcast, a Liverpool podcast last week. I did the Anfield Index, which was was a good experience, of kind of last minute, but uh, j- just fine. Actually, recorded on a preparation period at school, which I, don't, I think I'm allowed to do, but I'm not sure. Um, but like for you, I mean, when they ask kind of what what I felt about the game going into it. You know Liverpool, quality-wise, just have a better team. They've been together for longer. They've had the ideas um, and kind of the game plan longer than we have. But we were playing well. We were seemed to play well against teams who who want to play um, or who bring kind of the pressure to us and allow us to to, to play our game that, that fits a little bit better. But in my head, it's, it's like, well, you know, this should be a Liverpool victory. But... Um, I don't know. I was I was oddly optimistic, maybe that we could have done something and and at least given them a game, which I think we did. But for you, I mean, w- was it kind of the same thing, or or were you? I guess probably more pragmatic than I was in, in your way of thinking about the match. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of an eternal pessimist, so I couldn't help it when they said to me, 
we went through like what I expected the team to look like and, and then how I thought we'd deal with Liverpool. And then at the end of this this interview I had with this uh, Liverpool journalist, I had, oh, so, so what are you expecting the final result to be? And I, and I said, oh, well, probably a 3-1 Liverpool win, which, you know, was unfortunately right. Um, <laughs> and I could see, I could feel this kind of disappointment that, that so I hadn't been a bit more bullish in, in what I'd said. Um, and he was like, but you're playing really well. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we are. But, you know, <laughs> I think there's a difference between us playing really well, kind of from the context we were in earlier in the season versus, you know, taking down a, a title challenger um, when there's kind of so much going on. So um, it was kind of broadly what I expected. Um, it was much more even for longer than I expected. So um, if anything, I, I really did underpitch the whole thing. But um, I thought there were like I think there are you can still lose to Liverpool um, and take positives from it, which was you know so different from the story when we played them at Anfield um, and and kind of just got battered for forty five minutes and then shut up shop and thought three 0 was a was a good result. So um, you know it, it wasn't what we hoped it would be necessarily and probably not what we all like would have loved. But you know it was it was very much in the shape of the other games we've watched and um, I think Hasenhutl from a tactical perspective kind of got it as right as he could have given the resources that they kind of at his disposal. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, the, the result up at Anfield, there's only one goal difference now. And, and if you look at it, it's three, no to three, one, but the, the game was much different and we looked like we were in it for a long time. They looked uncomfortable for, for portions and, and we made them work for it. And, I think two one would have been a fair reflection of the game. Maybe um, the third goal, I think, just just happens as we as we press forward a little bit and try to try to equalize, which I'm okay with. Like uh, it happens, and of course, Salah decides to, to score. Jumping ahead to the, their three goal scores, Keita hadn't scored for them ever. Uh, Henderson hadn't scored for them in a really long time, and and Salah, you know, for as much as everybody says he's having a, a bad season, like he's not really having that bad of a season. He just hadn't scored in a little while. So um, it, it was, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it's kind of what you expected, like you, like you said. And I don't think we can be upset about, about much. Um, but yeah, but I, I mean, Van Dyke getting booed towards the beginning of the game and basically every time he touched the ball after that, uh, totally expected, I think. Uh, I think if there's anybody that Southampton fans dislike more than Dejan Lovren, it might be Virgil van Dyke. And um, as, as good as he is, and as much as I enjoy watching him play football, just as a, as a footballer, because he is, he's good and he's smooth and he does all of these things that, that, you know, I wish I could do when I play and I, and I can't um, it's uh, it's easy to hate him a little bit for uh, the way he left. Yeah. I, I don't think it's any shocks when, when uh, Virgil van Dyke gets booed and, yeah, I think you might be right. Dejan Lovren was the the big hated guy, but he, you know, Van Van Dyke's conduct in the way he left was as bad as Lovren's, and you actually miss him playing for your team. So like, it's it's a double combination <laughs> of stuff. Whereas Dejan Lovren, there was always this kind of like, oh, I can't believe he left us, but at least he turned out to be terrible, and twenty million looked like a great deal. Whereas now, all I seem to hear is, oh, wasn't Virgil Van Dyke a bargain for seventy five million? And look how good he is, and blah blah blah. So, you know, that makes me want to hate him even more, I have to be honest. Um, so, yeah. yeah, if you're going to behave like that and then be that good, then, you know, I, I think a, a good firm booing is, has never been a problem. Yeah, and then there was that one point late on where he went up for a header and 
JWP just kind of undercut him a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I don't like to see anybody get hurt, but I did enjoy that a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. You know, he wasn't really that badly hurt, so I think we're allowed to enjoy it a bit. I did also think that that, that incident did sum up the idea that the ref actually had no idea what he was doing the whole game. Really summed up by the fact that we were given a goal kick, some Liverpool players shouted at him, so he gave a corner. I mean, uh-huh. I, was, I was just like, do you have any idea what you're doing? No. I didn't think so. And, and on that VVD thing, he played advantage for us. Yeah. And yeah. then and then called it back and gave them a free kick. And I was just like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. For a minute, I thought I'd completely misunderstood. I was like, oh, he's played for us. And then they came back in. I was like, have I just not? No, no, actually, no, it's just he has no idea. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. No, because you, you see it happen. And you go, well, that's a foul. And then it yeah, just, yeah. And then it's like, well, maybe not, you know. And then I, I have no idea. I have no idea what he was doing. Um, I'm glad. Well, I, I, mean, I can't say the linesman did either because. Uh, somebody we were i think it was the in that number podcast they were joking around saying you know looking at the line for sala uh when he was offside for their equalizer and um you know i was like well i think the linesman played him on i think they must have thought that was okay because it's the same linesman who made that foul call uh which he made the right call on the foul on jwp i think there but uh completely uh wrong on the, on the offside thing credibility that pop by that point so the ref was like well you can't be right because you weren't right earlier I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, so let's let's just kind of look at, at the the early goings of the game. I mean, coming into it, we we knew that Liverpool were gonna were going to probably dominate possession, and, and they did. Um, but I think Saints did what they they do best. They they force mistakes. They made they they Saints put Liverpool under a lot more pressure than they I think maybe they were used to. Um, and, and we were kind of up for all of the individual battles all across the pitch and, and pretty organized. And, um, I'll be honest, I was pretty shocked when, when we got the first goal, I was not necessarily expecting that. And, uh, I did, my kids were taking a test. I did have it on my screen in the, in the top corner. And I, I, I let out, uh, some words I won't use here. Um, and when it, when it went in and all the kids looked up at me and I just went like, sorry. And they all went like what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm watching the game. And they just all kind of laughed and went back to taking their desks and that was fine. But um, I wasn't expecting that goal to go in. I wasn't expecting to be on top so early. I thought if we were going to score, it was going to be late. Um, and I don't know, like it, it just, it, it seemed like it was all going too well for the first 15, 20, even maybe even 30 minutes. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good start to the game. And I think, I think we have to be realistic about when you set up against teams like Liverpool that you will you mean you might press the ball quite hard in in their their third, but you but when they come into attack, there is you know a kind of necessity that you will drop deep. And we have seen so many teams line up against Liverpool, play quite expansively, and with their pace up front, they just they will, any space in behind, they will be right on top of that. So I could see why you know we tended to be quite deep. I think people got quite frustrated with that, um, especially like when we stopped being such a threat in an attacking area. People were like, why are we, you know, dropping deep? You know, we need to do more. And and the fact is that the defensive line is always going to be quite deep against Liverpool because you, without the quality, um, and even like Man City have been done for that, even with their quality, um, you're going to end up being quite, quite direct with the long balls, which I think gave, was why long played, because we just basically hoofed the ball up and just told him to run after it. Um, and see what we could get from that. I think um, 
maybe Cater and Fabinho not playing that much football recently played into our favour. I thought Poibier looked particularly good against them in terms of kind of snapping at their ankles, taking the ball off them, really kind of getting in their faces. And then I think they really struggled with us down our left, their right. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold didn't have the best game, I didn't think. Um, and Bertrand and Redmond really linked up well at times. Thought Bertrand put in some really good balls. Uh, and and it, it kind of, as the game wore on, it, it did seem to be kind of our left versus their left in a way. You know, we looked weaker down one side and they looked weaker down the other. Yeah. Um, it, and that was kind of how it was going to play out, I think. Yeah, it seemed like um, Mane was starting to get the better of, of Valerie eventually. Um, it, but Bertrand and, and Redmond were having a lot of, of, of joy against uh, down our left-hand side, like you said. Um, and then, I mean, Klopp kind of chose to shut that down and brought Milner in, and that kind of changed it. And then also when we brought Long off and had to move Redmond more centrally, Sims um, didn't have as much luck down that side. Uh, and then eventually we switched to a back four as well. And that that um, at that point, I think it was was trying to get a goal, which was was positive. I think that was really really good on 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 our part. Is is not just going well. It's going to be two one, and we're just going to try to hold it for goal difference. You know, it was like, well, there's nothing. There's really nothing to lose here. It, go try to try to do something, and they eventually get the third, which I don't necessarily think they deserved. And we were talking beforehand. I really wish anybody. Well, not anybody. There's a lot of people on that team I don't want to score against us, but um, uh, Henderson would have been one of them for me. But uh, that that that's I guess that's just how it goes. But um, I mean, yeah, I was. I just have to say, like, I was really, really impressed with with for the most part how we how we played. I think a lot of our a lot of our players just kind of stepped up and were ready for this game. And you just kind of think if 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 we did that more often, if we were able to do that under you know previous management we'd be in a much different position at this point in the season. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there was, there was so much hunger, I think, which really showed. And, and disappointingly, I think it was, as we said, on our kind of right side of our defense, Valerie and Bednarek, I think perhaps their inexperience showed a little bit. And then, and that was kind of part of why it all went a bit, a bit negative after a while. I just think um, on the, on the cater goal, Bednarek just misses his header. And I, I've watched it three or four times now. I still don't understand why he doesn't doesn't head the ball. And, and when you look at him back, he still can't quite understand how he didn't get it. And um, and I thought, yeah, Valerie was caught out quite a few times. And I think that's inevitable when you play wing backs that occasionally, especially when you're playing such high intensity football, your wing back will get caught the wrong side of of the of the attacking winger. And I think that's something that maybe Valerie sometimes needs to kind of think about timing his runs and when those runs happen. Um, and I, I'm not going to be critical of either of them because, you know, a big part of what's happened under Hazen Hootel has been kind of just throwing these young players in and, and then making them kind of learn quickly. Um, and that hasn't always been a flawless experience, thinking kind of particularly about Valerie sending off at Leicester. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I think they've generally, generally done really well and I wouldn't have expected them to do much better than they did. Um, but, I think that was probably one of those areas where our kind of inexperience in defence in particular was a kind of undoing of us um, kind of as the game went on. Yeah, I think he, I mean, you think about how he started under Hassan Hoodle with, I think, the matchup at Cardiff, he, or over at Cardiff, I don't know what exactly how to do it. Um, but anyway, um, 
the match against Cardiff, he didn't play particularly well. He got kind of eaten alive and I think had to be brought off eventually. Um, and since then, he's improved so much and he's always looked better in a five than he has in a, in a, in a four. And he's very good going forward. And he's been, you know, I, I'm not sure we've missed Cedric at all with him. And there are going to be games, though, when you, when you come up against a, a winger who just kind of has your number. And you got to think, you know, if, if the, there was talk earlier this week of, of, you know, him at some point cleaning Mane's boots and all this stuff as a youth team player. And that's, I think that's something that happens at most places. But you think just Mane just can come in and, and it's not like I think every, every other winger comes in and doesn't know anything about him. Does, and, and Mane's kind of seen him develop and maybe he's, maybe he's a different player now, but Mane probably just, it's just a little bit more confidence that Mane needed to, to just, you know, go and, and run at him and, and do those things. And, and Mane has been one of Liverpool's best players this season. Um, even when he is inconsistent sometimes in front of goal, he's, he's been really, really dangerous. And, uh, that wasn't any different this, this week. He, he, he chose to do those things again and was able to do those things again. And, um, he's just, he's a lot faster than Bednarak. And when Valerie was caught forward, that was, that was just going to be difficult for, for, uh, for Bednarak to stay with him. And, and that's, you know, like you said, it's just part of the, the inexperience and the, the youthfulness in the side. And, you know, one more season to, to develop that and that partnership and and that formation, um, I think we'll be okay. So um, about the formation, um, you say kind of like building experience in a formation. I get the sense that Hasenhutl was kind of eager to go to that 4 2 2 2 that he, he so often talks about. And I think, you know, the sort of thing he tried at Brighton. Um, so I'm not sure how much opportunity they'll get to kind of build that kind of understanding in that formation. And and that kind of does concern me about Valerie going forwards, because as you quite rightly said, um, he does look so much more comfortable in a five where he has that attacking freedom and there probably isn't quite so much scrutiny on him defensively. Um, and so I kind of wonder if we do switch to a back four, which seems to be kind of the long-term plan, uh, kind of how comfortable Valerie will be. But I'm, you know, I'm sure it's something that will get better with with experience, with coaching, with game time, and then and hopefully they'll have kind of preseason to really get to the kind of nitty gritty of the tactics and the setup, which I don't think Hasenhutl's really ha- ever had much chance to kind of really analyze and kind of kind of really get into um apart from perhaps this kind of three week gap we've just had which was why I think he tried that for against Brighton um because he'd had that time to kind of think about tactics in a kind of deeper way um so I'm yeah the only thing is about that yeah I don't know how the defense will look next season and that brings me on to Yannick Vestergaard who I actually thought had a really good game for someone who is six foot six and well, I mean, he's basically a human lorry, isn't he? He doesn't really doesn't really have movement. He's kind of just a big, big guy. And he, I, I have to say, before the game, I was thinking Salah's pace against Vestergaard could could be really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Vestergaard was really good at being, um, at kind of reading the game and being very aggressive, kind of quite high up the pitch, which I think takes quite a lot of guts when you know if you get turned, you you won't recover. Um, I thought he was actually really good. And I think a lot of the criticism of him has been quite unfair. I'm not sure he's been the signing people thought he would be. Um, but I think a lot of what he's done has been really good under Hasenhutl, especially after that awful mistake in the Cardiff game um, when Hasenhutl first came in. Um, I think he's like done really well to, to turn things around for him. 
But again, going back to kind of tactical changes, I'm not sure he would work in the Premier League consistently in a back four because of that lack of movement. And then that kind of, again, gets you back to the kind of our approach to recruitment if we're buying players that only really work in a certain system. But yes, um, I feel like I've just rambled about tactics for a while there. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think it'll be really interesting next season um, in terms of what kind of happens to the shape of the team. Yeah, yeah. It, you, you bring up a good point is that I think the, the, I guess the ultimate goal would be to go to a back four. I'm, I guess, just a little bit hesitant simply because I'm not sure I'm not sure how that looks. I'm not sure, like you said, with the players we have, if, if that does it, and in which which center back gets dropped if everybody's healthy, and we do go to a back four. You you imagine Bednarak stays in. Yoshida's been been pretty good this season. Um, he's been kind of the common influence, and he is the most senior defender on the team now. Um, and he's got he he's also I think the the fastest of any of the center backs we have by by far, especially um, with with Vestergaard back there, but. Uh, you wonder because Vesterkar was able to play in a back four in the Bundesliga, which I, I guess I always have just assumed it was a, a bit of a more kind of rough and tumble, wild kind of a, a league, which meant there was a lot more running and stuff like that. But I just don't think it's quite as intense, and I don't think the I don't think you come up against against the the quality of player week in week out that you do in the Premier League, where there is always somebody that can that can beat you a couple of different ways, mm-hmm. even on teams. Uh, like like Brighton or Cardiff or anywhere else. Yeah, I think so. I think there are frailties. But as you said, I don't think any of the three centre-backs, I think all, all three centre-backs have been good. I don't think any of them have been outstanding and I don't think any of them have been hugely consistent. So um, with Bednarek, that probably comes from a lack of experience. But with the other two, I don't know kind of what you pick or what you do about that. And I think also you have to face up to the reality that Yoshida probably doesn't have that long left of his career. Right. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he's retiring soon, but, you know, if, if the big kind of vibe from Hasenhutl is kind of investing in the future, you know, do I, does does Yoshida kind of fulfill that? But then you probably can't leave him out with what you have left, which again, probably comes back to what we do in the transfer window, but it feels like we've been trying to sort out our centre-back issue for two or three years now and, and not really got it right. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea what's going to happen in that, and it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit weird. But we got to do something eventually because you can't. I don't think you can just stay stagnant with with what we have there. Um, it doesn't really look like like Jack Stevens is going to be in in the plans for Hassenhul now. Uh, nor does it look like uh, you know a lot of our loan signings, especially the guys he sent out, like Wesley Hood. I don't think he's coming back to to the team. Um, at any point and, and getting his way back into it. He's not, I don't think he's impressing anybody on his loan spell really. So it's going to be, it's going to be a difficult one for him to come back and do that. But um, I, th- I think just looking kind of overall at the match, you know, long scores, we pressure them. We, we play, I think the game that we wanted to play and we're right there in it until the very end, until that third goal goes in. And ultimately uh, one thing that I wrote down in my notes is like, th- this is the team that I kind of fell in love with a couple of years ago. Now, like this is this is the type of of team that doesn't give up, that is in your face, that is, you know, 
putting in challenges. Romeo was kind of all over the place. I just love they at one point we were just sliding into everything and balls just basically the ball spent more time in the air than it did kind of being passed or dribbled or anything else. Um, just because we didn't, we wouldn't let them stand on it. And it was, it was awesome. I think, you know, it's, it's crazy as it looks to, to watch sometimes. And some people might say, uh, that the term agricultural was thrown around for some of the challenges and stuff. I, I, I think that's too, that's a, that's a bit harsh, but I mean, I was just really enjoying watching the game and I couldn't help but be excited, even though, like, as I told you, I was up at, at three forty-five this morning watching the, uh, the second half. So it's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if you, if you got that feeling watching it on Friday night or not, or, or if I'm just kind of being nostalgic about it, but I, I really enjoyed the match, even though we lost. Yeah, absolutely. I did. I had, I had a good time watching it. I have to say I found one, one quite a tense experience. Um, so I did a lot of just sitting there like in total silence and my husband gave me this look like, what's wrong with her? Um, <laughs> cause it was just like, come on, you can do this. Um, but no, I thought it was really, really good. And as you said, like it's just it's quite nice to watch an an aggressive team, a team that kind of they may not always have the quality, they may not always be able to kind of go toe to toe for kind of attacking ability, but they kind of get into people's faces and make it awkward for them. And I think in many ways Pierre Hoybier has been the kind of symbol of that in terms of being very aggressive, being very loud and, and getting kind of right in there and, and has actually kind of contributed quite a lot from an attacking perspective simply because he's kind of, he's got such kind of determination to get onto things and do things you probably didn't expect him to do. I thought, you know, that breakaway goal at Brighton, it was so kind of emblematic of what he's been in terms of kind of box to box, box engine and kind of pushing and pushing even when you probably didn't think that that's where he should be on the pitch and assembly for that flick on um for long's goal i kind of was like where 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 did he come from um but no it's been really good to watch and i there was quite a lot i found there was a kind of subsection on twitter certainly of people that were like i i didn't wasn't really pleased with the way we kind of played on the counter like that and i think there needs to be a certain degree of realism about what this team can do with the resources it has given how bad the recruitment has generally been um, in the last couple of years. I think there needs to be a degree of, of kind of realism about how we set up when we are not going to have a lot of the ball against Liverpool or, or teams of that ability. And it's about doing what you can with the ball when you get it. I think there were times in that game where we were slightly naive. Um, we were kind of so aggressive and so wanting to make the most of opportunities that we probably fatigued ourselves quicker than we needed to because we would just push that ball as quick as we could um, and go as direct as we could. And I think there were opportunities to maybe take your foot off for, for five minutes, hold possession for a little bit and give yourselves a kind of breather. Because I think um, Bertrand tried to do that kind of late on in the game when he got booked for delaying a couple of throw-ins because you could see he was just trying to give the team, kind of take the pedal off a little bit, give them all a bit of a chance to kind of take a breather, kind of get their, their brains back into kind of the right shape and, and and think about what they needed to do. And I think there were times when other players probably should have done the same thing and and they kind of made things all a little bit too much of a strain. And I think that was <clears throat> partly why we faded out of the game so badly at the end, um, not just because of the tactical switch, which I, I have to agree with you, I was totally in favour of. You might as well go for it because... If we are to get relegated from this league, it certainly won't be on goal difference. Right. Um, 
so you know that I, that was perfectly understandable why Hasenhutl came up with those um, subs. But I thought, you know, that was particularly a fatigue issue. Um, I think at that point, um, and I think a lot of people were saying, "Oh, we seem to sit off at one-one and, and go for the draw." But Salah basically scored because we massively overcommitted from our own corner mm-hmm. um, and, and left Bertrand with the unenviable task of trying to work out whether to mark Firmino or, or let. Salah score um, on, on a yellow so card I, I, by the way <laughs> yeah on a yellow card and I think also that counts against Benderek didn't it against Mane when he got booked quite early on and, and then spent the rest of the game being like oh I can't but tackle it right. oh, oh he's gone um, so I think yeah I think you can't be critical of, of what went on and I think you have to realise that this is a team that will get better um, even before you start talking about recruitment in the summer I think it's a team that will get better purely just by experience and by the kind of coaching we've seen from Hasenhuel so far in terms of bringing players on and developing them. Um, I thought if anyone had a kind of quite quiet game, it was James Ward-Prowse after his kind of recent exploits. But no, I think it was um, a really good, good fun watch. I kind of saying this retrospectively because I've had a lot of tense, but yeah, no, it was good. And I I firmly encourage seeing more of it, I think. Yeah. And I guess I had the advantage of, of watching, knowing the score, knowing how it ends. Um, I'm not a person who usually reads the last page of a book or anything like that before I start. But uh, like I said, the, it, there was going to be no way to, uh, to to get home, I think, and watch the game without knowing the result. Um, so, it, you know, whatever. But uh, it kind of had an idea of, of what of when the goals went in and, and at least a little bit of an idea of how it happens um, before, before I ever sat down and watched it. But I just, I think it allowed me just to, just to enjoy the the periods of uh, uh, where, where the ball just didn't seem to settle at all. And where, where Liverpool looked rattled. And I've admitted before to, to watching Liverpool, um, you know, as a, as a neutral, just watching the, the match when, when we're not playing or whatever, because I enjoy the the high intensity kind of, 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 of football. And at times they're, they're really enjoyable to watch. And I really enjoyed us not letting them do that very often. And uh, so whatever I uh, initially thought that Salah's goal, I thought, I thought that ball looked like it looped off of one of our defenders. And that was really frustrating for me, but uh, watching the replay back, that didn't happen. They just, he just somehow got that past everybody and, it was a good goal for him. So yeah, it was quite good, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but I, I think for them, I, I thought Mane had a really good game. I thought he hurt us a lot. I think the, his challenge on the edge of the area there for uh, on JWP to, to, to kind of initially block that shot or that cross or whatever that was going to be um, that led to the goal I thought was really good. And I thought he, he won the ball back for them quite a, a number of times that, uh, and then gave us a lot of pressure down down our left or their sorry their left hand side our right hand side, so um, as much as as people booed VVD, I think if we were going to boo on performance, uh, we should have been booing Mane uh, more often. Yeah, I, I think so. He, but I, I find it I struggle to to boo Mane because it's just great to watch, and I, I don't have any kind of sour feeling about the way he left. I think it was all pretty above board, and yeah, he'd given him it kind of. I think he'd given us as much as he could give us as a player in terms of where we were and what we were doing. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I kind of like him. I think he's, I think he's having an amazing season and I would love to see him at Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did get to see him a couple of years ago when I saw uh, Chelsea play Liverpool in, in LA 
uh, during the summer and he, he looked great. It was, he had just made the move. And so it was, uh, it was enjoyable to go see him then. Uh, he was basically still wearing a saint's kit. So it was great. Um, <laughs> and now he just seems to, to have gone on and, and done a little bit, but, um, I don't, do you have any final thoughts on the game before we answer? We got a lot of questions that I kind of want to get to some of them at least. Um, <laughs> I'm not I sure. I want, I'm not sure I want to answer all of them. <laughs> um, no, I think I think that covers it all. I think yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of the way it progresses as we go on in terms of you know when we have Ings fit and available. Although that <sighs> Danny Ings, oh, I've, got to, I've got to make it out on Danny Ings in a second. Really likes the guy. I think he's really talented, and I think if he was fully fit, he would have been a sniff at twenty million. But I have no idea why we've committed to buying him when he clearly has massive injury problems. And I would love to be in a position where you could build a team around him. But I, it makes me really nervous about next season if we don't buy a, another striker because I, I just can't see him being the kind of player you can you can rely on in terms of fitness. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, I, I do. Um <laughs> I like, like you said, he is a guy who is obviously extremely talented. He technically very good. I think does really well with a guy like Redmond playing up alongside him to drop deep and link up play and, and kind of set Redmond free and he can score goals, but he's never fit. And, and that's going to be an issue because we, you look elsewhere in our team and we've gotten by this season with goals from midfield and until Shane Long scored, we hadn't had a goal from a striker. And I don't know how I can't remember the last one. And that's, that's just not, that's not a, that's not a good, like, I think plan going forward. I think you have to have a, a couple of other options uh, of people you can put up there. And, you know, Austin came in and, and scored goals initially. And I just don't think he fits the system. I don't think he is necessarily, um, I don't think he's that t- the, the, the Ralph Hassenhutl type player, not that he can't, maybe adjust that, but there's, there's really no reason for me to think he will given where he's at in his career and things like that. And the underlying problem there is that he gets a stitch after about half an hour and can't really run. Like I've never, I've never really had a problem with him in terms of what he could do in the box. Cause I think he can be like lethal, but Uh if you're going to play one of these kind of high intensity systems where you are pressing the, you know, center backs all the time, I just don't think he has the like underlying fitness to kind of, keep going he doesn't have the stamina i don't think for it um and nor am i completely convinced he's got the attitude for it either right um so yeah i I have a similar worry about austin in terms of the way he fits and i I think it's only his wages that's really stopped him from moving on or down or somewhere else which i think goes once again back to our that recruitment in that that era that we went through where we're handing out kind of big contracts to people for seemingly really bad reasons you know a Forrester signed a big one we, we just have a bunch of people on our books now that we we can't possibly get rid of because uh, nobody's going to pay them that and then if you're if you're a professional footballer kind of why why would you take a giant pay cut um to go elsewhere and, and uproot yourself and your family and everything else if you've been here for two or three years and you are enjoying you know the, the south coast why would you why would you change it um, it doesn't, there's, there's, there's little incentive for them to do that. So, uh, that's, that's our mistake, I guess, as a, as a, as a board and as an organization that we have to, to learn from and make sure we don't do it again. 
Yeah, I think I think that's quite right. Um, I think the eighth highest um, wages in the league for a team yeah. that is a long way off that. Um, and I think, as you say, it's the fact, not necessarily that we've signed poor players, but we've signed poor players on such a big wage. So there we go. That will be a uh, something to look forward to in the summer. Um, or not look forward to, as the case may be. So shall, shall we get on with the questions then? Yes, yes. Okay, so... Uh... We have some questions both from from the Patreon members who get priority for having their questions answered in addition to being involved in uh, a private chat that we have going on on Discord as well as getting a bonus episode per month. So uh, if anybody is interested in that, you can sign up by going to patreon.com slash SFC delivery. I still feel awkward every time I say that, but um, I think if you talk to people who are in there, they'll say they enjoy it. Um, and Kevin, who is one of the patrons, asks, what are your thoughts on the introduction of our next season? Uh, the Liverpool equalizer, you know, would it have stood or not? Um, but they maybe have would have gotten a penalty for Keita, but I don't think there was enough contact for the penalty. Um, maybe he would have been booked retroactively for, for diving. I don't know if that's a thing. But the equalizer uh, for Liverpool, if he doesn't get called offside immediately, because there was so much time that elapsed and the number of, of chances we had to clear the ball, I'm not sure it would have been called back, but I just think it's a mistake by the linesman initially that, that, that the, the big team does get the, the advantage there. It's, it's not Shane long running past the defender there. It's, it's Mo Salah and that, sorry, the guy's a human. He's going to, that's going to influence things. And that's just kind of the way it goes, but it, it is frustrating when it, when it hurts you the way it, it hurt us. Yeah, sorry. So what was the original question? Sorry, the question was, um, yeah, what are what are your thoughts on the introduction of our next season? Do you think oh, the, the equalizer would have stood and, or do you think they would have gotten a penalty uh, for the Cata for the incident, I assume is what he's talking about. So yeah, I was hearing um, during the game that apparently um, they'd asked some referees that I presumably it was in the studio um, about this incident and whether VAR would have had an Im- impact. And they were saying pretty much that um, because there were so many phases of play after the Salah offside incident, um, that that would have still stood um, even with a video assistant. So I think you're quite right in the sense that VAR won't eliminate all of these kind of suspicions of big six bias because there will still be things that leave uh, kind of left to human judgment. And then you also have the fact that VAR may make certain decisions easier, but at the end of the day, there is still a huge amount of football kind of rules and regulations which are subjective, that are kind of um, about interpretation of certain rules and laws. Um, and you often, even when we have, you know, 20 replays from various different angles, people still, pundits are still disagreeing about certain decisions. And I think you'd have found the same thing with that Cater decision, had that gone to a VAR decision. I can totally see why it would be given. Um, I can see why it wouldn't be given. I think the big issue in that incident was that Cater's shot or control or dribble went so far ahead of him there is a question about whether he's in control of the ball. There's a question about actually how much contact there was. Um, and I have to say, I found it really difficult to objectively watch any of those decisions while Jamie Carragher was shouting about X, Y, and Z. Um, I think it's an absolute travesty that Sky Sports have an, you know, an ex-player and an open fan of a team 
doing the commentary, particularly when they've taken Gary Neville to that game to do the coverage, who is also a better commentator. Um, I just don't, I got so angry by the end of it, just listening to Jamie Carragher. By the end of by the third goal, he is basically just openly celebrating, and as an opposition fan, I'm just thinking like. I had to put it on mute by the end because I was just like, I do not want to listen to Jamie Carragher go on and on and on. And then he did these awful, cringy interviews with Salah and Van Dyke at the end. I just, oh, it just ruined my evening. More, not even like, not more than the result, but it was a, it was salt in the wounds. I have to say. Well, see, the only we we didn't have him on our coverage. We had Arlo White commentating, and he is anybody who's in the U S or, or who's perhaps may or may not have found a stream of the American coverage on somewhere on the internet. Um, you will know that he is the guy who, who does they, he get, they give him the big games. And so, um, with him on, he is the voice of, 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 of kind of football for, for us. And he, he always does a really great job, but our champions league coverage this season has been, uh, Stuart Holden, who used to play uh, in the Premier League and, and played for the Dynamo and is is one of the guys that I, I like to watch. He unfortunately had his career ended early due to injury, but um, he's really good friends with Steve Nash, who's a professional basketball player, or was a professional basketball player here, who is also a really big Spurs fan. And they did the uh, one of the Tottenham matches in the Champions League, and Steve Nash was doing the exact same thing. It was so... He was just he was cheering like he was actually cheering and people were just ripping him apart on Twitter. And, uh, I don't think they've done a game together since. And they definitely should have given, should not have given him that game because it just doesn't work. Like you can't do that as a, as a commentator, you have to be able to separate yourself. And I think maybe you just learned that, Hey, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I have to just let it go because, uh, it, I'm just too big of a fan of this team. And if somebody asked me to commentate on saints, I don't think I can do it either because I would definitely be, um, uh, I don't know. I think I try really hard even on here to be somewhat impartial at at points, but I don't know if I could do it in the moment. No, and I think, you know, it's quite all right having, you know, if you have some kind of commentary system, which is, you know, like a fan TV or something like that, which is specifically targeted at fans of a team, then that is absolutely fine by me. And, you know, you, you crack on with that. But the idea that you have a fan commentating for, you know, national television, just I find ridiculous. And, as for you saying, I don't know if I could do that. I definitely couldn't do that. I would spend the whole time just making really bizarre noises, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm like, no, yeah, no. Um, anyway, uh, so, but I, yeah, I couldn't do it, but I just don't think it should be a thing as unless you are kind of specifically targeting a kind of biased audience. So, um, yeah, the less that's said about that is... Yeah, prob- really. probably. But back to the original question, VAR, I am in strongly in favor of but i'm not sure it would have resolved the issues we had last night no and and there were probably there will there will probably be things that come up that we don't foresee and that's you know that's part of it and and i'm sure it'll be in a couple of years people will want something different and we'll get something different and then we'll not like that either so i think it's just the way it goes and that's that's okay um but football really isn't having something to whine about yeah um <laughs> People can also send in questions on on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And Tim Marshall has sent one in here, uh, and he says, "What's your favorite and least favorite other manager in the Premier League?" He said his would be Chris Hutton as best, and Neil Warnock as worst. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to think about this one, and and we have a lot, and we've 
we've been talking a while. We're not going to get to all of them, which is a good problem to have. But I will try to answer a couple of these in the newsletter, which people can also sign up for uh, at SouthamptonDelivery.com. So um, I don't know, best and worst other managers in terms of, of what you think. And if you don't have a, anybody off the top of your head and you need a second, I can, I can go first if you want. Um, I, I've kind of thought about this and I think it basically comes down kind of to geography weirdly. So I'd say that I couldn't, I couldn't split to one of each. So I've got two of each. Okay. Um, I think it's um, my two favorites at the moment are probably uh, Mauricio Pochettino and Unai Emery. I think in terms of what they do, in terms of tactical development, in terms of bringing you through, I think Unai Emery's made a kind of massive call in terms of putting so much on kind of Guendouzi and, and Torreira and, and quite an interesting core of central midfield. And I think people thought that Arsenal would be much further off the pace for the Champions League places than they are. Um, I think he's done really good things. And I also think he's like a really nice guy and I, I kind of appreciate a lot of what he did at kind of Sevilla and stuff. And I don't think he was necessarily treated that well at PSG either. So Unai Emery and, and Pochettino because I love him and I kind of will always hark back to his Saints team as kind of the one that really established us as a really good team in the Premier League. And I, I like Harry Kane and I, I like Ericsson and so on. And I say, I think they have a really nice team. Um, and then I think Merseyside is where I start to get very irritated. Um, Jurgen Klopp and Marco Silva kind of really do my head in. I think Jurgen Klopp doesn't do enough to take responsibility when his team doesn't do that well. I think Pep Guardiola, by contrast, you know, for for the other team in the title race, is very good at saying where things have gone wrong and kind of calling players out. Whereas Klopp seems to love um, blaming it on pretty much anything else, like the wind or the grass. <laughs> I just get really fed up with that. Um, yeah. And I find his celebrations kind of ridiculous. So that, and I think Marco Silva has got quite an ego and I don't think he's got a huge amount of ability, but I could be wrong. So yeah, that's kind of North London versus Merseyside is kind of where my managerial preferences sit. I think. Well, I'm with you on, uh, on Pochettino. Uh, obviously his, his Southampton team is something that I think we're always going to enjoy looking back on and, and we always wish him well. And I always want him to do better. Uh, and part of it might be that he's at Tottenham now and my best friend's an Arsenal fan, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you bring up Unai Emery, who I think does a good job. And I'm, and I'm looking down the list of, of managers here. And, you know, there's some of them that I just I, I don't like the way their team plays football, but I like people that enjoy that seem to enjoy their job, you know. And and now looking at um, look at some at, at Jose Mourinho when he was at United, it just didn't look nobody looked like they were enjoying it. If you looked at our team under Mark Hughes, nobody looked like they were enjoying it. Now you look at, at kind of our players and, and I think the turnaround at United is, is somewhat similar. And uh, so just listening to, to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, just the way he talks and the way he seems to just really enjoy his life right now. I think that for me is, is something that I've, 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 I've enjoyed the difference. Um, also will totally admit uh, that at one point I thought uh, my, we were always told my, I was always told that I was heavily Norwegian. Um, turns out it's only 8%. I'm more French than that, uh, which is not good. So maybe I'll change that. But at, at this point, I think I'm pulling for him uh, on that in terms of people that I dislike um, just on, by the same 
kind of token, uh, guys like Sean Dyche or Neil Warnock, who just don't look like they enjoy anything. Um, that's that, that really doesn't, doesn't do it for me. And, and Maurizio, sorry about the same way. Um, both my parents smoke. I can't get with the, uh, the chewing of the cigarettes on the sideline. It, it freaks me out. So, um, and then also Brendan Rogers, uh, just the things he says and the way he acts and some of the looks he gives people. Um, there's that gif of him going around uh, shaking the hands in a tunnel. He just looks so, so awkward that I don't ever want to, uh, I know. So all, all of them are on that, exactly. <laughs> on that list. Um, Actually, I also quite like, although this isn't, I am now aware that my list is turned to about five people. I like, um, I think Grazia at Watford has done quite a lot under the radar with Watford. Um, and he does it with quite a lot of like, I don't, I don't probably not charm, but probably like quite a lot of grace. I think Watford's often been a very kind of high pressure place. And mm-hmm. I think he does quite a good job. But sorry for cutting across you there. I just, it just no. popped into my head. <laughs> no, no, don't worry about that. It's all right. Um, all right. So we have time for one more because um, I'm supposed to go record the In That Number podcast, which will be out before this one. So it'll be whatever it is that the whole, it, it's weird. Uh, the way our release schedules all work, but um, we have time for one more and I think you know which one's coming and uh, would you rather have a little pair of legs on your chin or a small pair of boobs on your forehead? Yeah, so you might be aware if you've seen the, the tweets on that, that my husband got quite into this this dilemma and totally I'm a little bit perturbed by it um, and he said that he would go for the boobs on your forehead and own it and get breast enlargements and wear a bra, which was slightly bizarre, if I'm honest. And I'm, <laughs> I'm having serious questions about him in general. Um, but I have gone, I'm going for the small pair of boobs on the basis I think they could be easier, easily covered up. Whereas I'm thinking legs on your chin, no matter how small they are, I don't know, as a woman, what I'd do about that. Maybe as a guy, you can grow a beard. But I'm thinking, you know, I don't know how you'd ever look normal. And I also, I don't really know how that would ever be useful. So that said, neither would the boobs. So yeah, I'm going with that. The, the small pair of boobs on your forehead. What, what, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I have a beard, but I was worried about potentially, like, do the legs grow hair? Like, do I also have to shave <laughs> them? Um, that. Yeah, probably. Like, do the feet get cold? Like, do I have to wear socks? I don't want socks like on my face. That's weird. Um, so it's, it's really weird. But then I don't like being touched. Like I'm not a big fan of, of strangers, you know, touching me or hugging me or rubbing up against me or anything like that. So the idea that I would have boobs on my head, um, would one, I mean, either one of these is going to lead to a lot of people staring at you, but I think the boobs on your head are more likely to just like have somebody as a, especially I'm a school teacher, just go like, just, I don't want that. I don't want the, no, I don't, I don't want either one of them, um, <laughs> to be honest. But if I had to choose, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's no, so. You can't sit on the fence. You have to tell me. I do love how seriously we're taking this, by the way. <laughs> this is the hardest I've thought about anything in a long time. Um, I don't want to have to shave the legs. And sometimes I like to shave my beard and I can always wear a hat. And so, and I should wear a hat because I'm bald. And which is also complicating this thing is that there's, I'm, I have a bald head and it would just have two boobs and it's weird, but I, I think I have to go that boobs 
and I'll wear a hat every once in a while because I, I should protect my head from the sun anyway. And that would help. Um, yes, I have to go boobs on the forehead, even though I think all the evidence that I've given up until this point has pointed the opposite way. Um, it shows you. <laughs> yeah, I did think you were going to come down the other side of that. Of yeah, me, me too. I, honestly, like me too. But thank you to Ralph's Revolution, who is at St. Bannerman uh, for this, because this is obviously the highlight of of, of most things. Um, but anyway, uh, you can always send in questions. I will answer some of the other ones in the newsletter this week because we did not get to them all. Uh, and I apologize for that, but we just basically had, I've, I've enjoyed talking to you, Lucy. I've, uh, I always look forward to, to getting you on the show. And, uh, I know that sometimes it's, it, I mean, it is a, a sacrifice for you for an hour or so of your time to do that. So I appreciate it. That's no sacrifice at all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. We will uh, talk to you next time and have a good rest of your day. You do. That does it for episode 117 of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Lucy Heinett for taking time out of her day, for making Tom go away into the other room uh, so she can talk to me about Saints losing to Liverpool. Um, we kind of knew it was going to wind up this way, but nothing really to complain about. So thank you so much, Lucy. I appreciate your thoughtfulness. I appreciate how much... Uh, time and consideration you put into this. Uh, I really do uh, appreciate it. I know the listeners do too. That was evident by the number of questions that we had this week. So uh, if you are a listener out there and you are not following Lucy Heinet, you can do that on Twitter at Lucy Heinet. The links are in the show notes. Those show notes are available. If they're not below where you're listening to this and whatever app you're using, you can get them at SouthamptonDelivery.com, which is also the place you can sign up to get the newsletter. And in that newsletter, we will answer some of the questions that you asked us on the show that we couldn't get to because there were too many because Lucy is so great. Basically, I'm just trying to get you to sign up for the newsletter. Uh, but if you do, you'll get one newsletter each and every week. Uh, it comes out on Friday mornings. It'll keep you up to date with what's going on. There's always a long read, uh, some links back to old episodes and things that are uh, of relevance, including Match Day edits, um, Predictive 11s, things like that. Things I think you will enjoy um, all in your inbox so you don't have to go searching for it all. Uh, anyway, do that. Sign up for that at SouthamptonDelivery.com. And uh, thanks. As always, I'd like to thank the supporters of the show, not just you, the listeners, not just the patrons, but the people who make some of the things that make the show work, including Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Uh, Matt does the logo for the show, and for all your matchday edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Likewise, the official partner of the show is the Southampton page. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And that's where you should go for all of your Southampton FC news and needs. Jay and the rest of the team do a great job of keeping me and you and everybody else up to date with what's going on at Southampton. All music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of the show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Poddington Bear. If you are enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. And if you're really enjoying it, like so much that you want more, more interaction, more shows and all of that, uh, check out patreon.com slash SFC delivery, where you can sign up to support the show, uh, get some extra chats in, uh, have priority for having your questions answered. And if you join the $5 a month tier, you get an extra podcast episode per month. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Uh, that is all for this week. We will be back next week after Wolves. And until then, remember that together, we march on.